Hello and welcome. And this is the Hustle Over Everything podcast. I'm Owen Osinde. I'm Alexander. And uh, this is our first ever episode having uh, Alex on as one of my co-hosts. Uh, as many of you have known over the years, the way this podcast evolved, it was just me starting off as Owen Osinde. You know, when I got into podcasting, it was just Owen Osinde, then moved on to the e-commerce podcast. And then, you know, after some inspiration over the last summer, I got uh, the idea to start Hustle Over Everything. And the way I got to Hustle Over Everything is I asked myself, you know, what do I embody? What do I, who am I? Who's Owen Osinde? And the one word I can think of is hustle. And everything I thought back was I hustled throughout all things, whatever it is, I, I worked hard and I, and I found a way through. So that is uh, the reason Hustle Over Everything exists. And, uh, you know, now here, here we are. And over the past couple episodes, I've been asking myself, you know, what, like, where can the show grow? How can we grow this into a really great business, into a really great media company? And uh, my good friend, Alex, we've been friends for over the like past four years in Ryerson, being in classes together, uh, you know, taking trips to California for Afrotech and just exchanging ideas, sharing knowledge, helping each other grow because we really want to be successful. And you can't be successful if you don't work with others and you don't share ideas. That's the only way you can really prosper out here. So Al and I met up. You know, the, the feeling was mutual. I was like, you know what? I really want you on my team. I feel like we can build something great. And uh, Alex echoed the same sentiments, man. So Al, welcome. This is, let me just give you a proper warm introduction. Everybody, let, let us all welcome Alexander, AKA Mr. Elevated, Elevated Whitfield to the show. Alex, man, welcome. Let's go, what's going on everybody? I'm happy to be here. Um, happy to get started, you know, uh, it's been a wild ride, you know, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while and it just, uh, blossomed. It just happened organically, you know, which is yeah. the best way things can happen. Mm-hmm. So, you really you know, we, I, I always knew like, you know, whenever after the whole sneaker deck thing happened, I always thought about, you know, who can I really work with? And I had a few ideas, but I always saw like you as a guy, like I was like, you know what, me and Al, like we're really, we're really on the same path. You really like, I don't know what it is, man, but you know, when someone knows you on the same wavelength, it's Mm -hmm. like, I see you grinding, you see me grinding, we share ideas, we share thoughts and uh, yeah, bro. So like, first thing I want to ask you uh, is, I know a lot of people heard you from the previous podcast, but just let's get us, let's get to know you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way I'm going to do this is kind of, kind of interview format format where, you know, I'll ask you things just to get oh, you yeah. to know that personal level. And I think yeah. since, uh, and we can just chop it up on the way, but I think that way people can really understand uh, who you are from a personal level. So like who, like, how would you describe yourself as a person and what really made you want to be an entrepreneur? Man, how do I describe myself as a person? Um, I say kind-hearted, you mm-hmm. know, um, like I, aggressive, but in like I, almost kind of like what Asi Badu was saying, and um, like minimally aggressive. Aggressive you know? minimalism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, calm, laid back, but um, 
like aggressive when need be. Um, yeah, this is a very chill person. I, I like to dive into things, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I remember hearing a metaphor that there's people who who swim um, in shallow waters, people who, sw- who swim in, in deep waters. And yeah. uh, I believe I'm like the, the latter of someone who just swims in the deep waters and likes to dive into subject matters and um, real really dive into things you care about, you know, and actually mm-hmm. uh, taking the time to get to know the ins and outs of things versus just ha- having like a shallow perspective, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of what brings me to podcasting overall is having that deeper connection with something, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and me as an entrepreneur, man, uh, I guess I'd say resilient, you know? Resilient, like I, eh? Definitely. Like, I first started um, with media and the SOC with IK like years ago after i just had one um like the nicholas thing like i said in the podcast mm-hmm. and um i was just like all right let's start growing you know and we started and it didn't really work out that like like that like we wanted it to but that didn't stop me i kept going and this persist being resilient throughout you know i'm um, staying resilient and persistent it's just like the model I've always had, you know. Um, even if I, there's a month where I make no money or a month I make like um, some some K's, I'm like, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like celebrating the the journey either way and keeping my head down. So that's just like where where I am with it. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. It's crazy how you know you and IK you know met and then we all met. How come mm-hmm. IK dropped out of the biz? <laughs> Um, there was no structure at all. It was just like, yo, I got this business. I start working, I start building. But there was absolutely no structure, no flow. It was kind of like, almost like, hey, go do it and come back. Like, <laughs> there was no meetings, no set time. Because it was, I was still like in my first year of college or, or university. I had no idea what, what I was doing at all. Yeah. You know? um, so that was like a great learning experience. I got to see like what... I needed in terms of winning new business, in terms of setting up things for clients and, mm-hmm. and internal business. Like nobody teaches you how to run a team, how to structure things, you know? And I came from working at like Banana Republic at the time. I hadn't, there was like, no, not even like a, a corporate type of like, or, or let's say a team aspect of like, all right, this is how we're going to consistently grow this business. There was none, none of that. It was just yeah, like, yeah. all right, this is what it is. You know, build a website, then maybe go approach people and talk back in a week, something mm-hmm. like that. In a week, <laughs> you know. And you know the thing is, I always feel like everything starts like that. You know, if you look at the common trend when people are launching yeah. in school, mm-hmm. uh, it's like we all have that motivation, we all have that hunger to really do something, but we all lack structure. And yeah. I think that's why, like a lot of projects I've seen, you know, back at Ryerson, they're so promising, but. Mm-hmm. They just lack structure. And then another thing is, is I feel is, you know, since everybody comes and harnesses the idea together, mm-hmm. they, there's a failure to define each other's roles uh, where someone is the leader, someone delegates this and that. So it becomes like this uh, communal type of thing where mm-hmm. decision-making is so lack because there's no true defined leader. Like there's no like, Hey, this is, uh, this is the v, the marketing guy. This is like the CEO guy or whatever. And everybody's comfortable doing that because everybody kind of wants is wearing the same hats. And I think when you don't have the, the leadership lined up early on, uh, there's no accountability. 
there's no person to hold you accountable, especially if it's with your friends too, right? Uh, because like we all want the same thing, but I think just that broken structure from like defining the roles and like someone to report to and actually having that like authority, not authority, but like, you know, like when you have like the, the you know, you all respect each other, but like if I'm CEO and I say, hey, this is what we're going to do. It's like, okay, this is what you feel is the best decision, right? So like, how would you see if you were to go back and like, I know you grew with media, but with the team back then, how would you have changed things to really keep that team together instead of like breaking out solo? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, all right, so first off, I would have like started organizing each other from the jump. So I would have had like specific roles that we were each doing. Like we were all like almost in a sales position. No one had any real perception of anything or perception of ownership or perception of um, like long-term goals even. It was just, hey, this is like a fun thing. Let's just do it, you know? Um, So I would say structuring all that out, you know, from a mission statement all the way down to what the roles are, to what the weekly tasks are, um, and really like setting a monthly, quarterly, yearly goal, and then like backtracking on exactly what we need to do to accomplish those. Um, so for instance, if you want to win business, how many people do we need to approach to get a, a call, like to like a call that would um, be a qualified lead? Then from a qualified, out of the qualified leads, how many qualified leads do we need to land a meeting? How much meetings do we need to get to close a meeting to uh, get business, then to mm-hmm. scale that? That's what I'll start doing, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that sense. Um, then internally, I would start looking at what's the hourly cost um, of doing business and like measuring the profit off of the cost of goods sold. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, that, yeah, for sure. that I think is like where I would have gone from, from jump if I was to start that all over. Just so we have like a clear structure of, all right, this is the business. This is each other's roles. This is how the business model going forward. This is what the numbers we need to hit in order to get to the next level. You know, mm-hmm. um, this really structuring it out, like not in terms of like making everybody a rigid role, but structuring it out mentally. So everyone has like a picture of what we're following, the building blocks, the Tetris building blocks we're putting together to, Mm-hmm. get to that new level you know um, yeah. i think that's the missing element a lot of businesses don't have when you're just starting up as those like micro things that lead to the macro picture yeah yeah oh you know? for sure man i've seen that happen so many times like people would just start something that looks cool but it just falls out and then mm-hmm. there's no money in the beginning there's mm-hmm. no money to really pay people there's people gotta mm-hmm. and that's one of the things about starting a business it's people got to feed themselves. You have part-time jobs, you have, you know, we still have full-time jobs. I mean, for me right now, I don't have a full-time job just because of COVID, but, you know, we had a flow of like the nine to five and then after that we'll do our thing. So Mm. when you're starting a business, you also have to have the commitment. And that's one of the other things that comes to it because people are not committed. Uh, They, they kind of, it's kind of like a lazy fair situation. It's like, okay, I'll do this when I feel like it, but, it all comes down to that accountability and um, commitment too. So people don't fall off and that's how projects stop. It's you start with steam and then, you know, there's that kind of thing. I also noticed like people start fading back. They're like the communication stops, uh, checking in stops, deliverables are coming in late. 
And then before you know it, the whole project just falls apart. So mm-hmm. uh, I think there's an opportunity there to like educate people, like how to start a business in university, because I think that's where a lot of ideas come from, but there's mm-hmm. no like proper structure that allows people to really flourish in school. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, most definitely. And I remember um, Gary Vee was talking about that in one of his episodes. And I don't like to quote Gary Vee too much because a lot of times he's seen as this like motivational, you know, because he is, he's that motivational thing. But when he talks about business, sometimes he actually has quality um, values to add. And mm-hmm. one of the things he was saying is that like when it comes to hiring friends, you need to say, yo, I'm happy to hire you or and work with you, but there's no, I will fire you, you mm-hmm. know? And having that from the jump of like, all right, listen, this is business, but we're not, this is not for play, play at all, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just so, like, that fire is still under each other's butt, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, man, just, just staying true to each other. So keep holding each other accountable by the liberals we wanted to hit, um, or at least, like, a general sense of the liberals we want to hit. So even if we don't, like, all right, we kind of set it too high. And then adjusting from that on, you know? Because you're working off no year over year, right? And, like, in the the business you're usually working with your quarters, how, how quarters run. But in the startup, when you're just starting off, you don't know what the what happened last quarter or the quarter exactly, before or, or the year over year. You know what I'm saying? You're kind of just a freestyling it. So you got to give it time to figure out exactly what happened. But you still got to measure it, though, you know? And, and, right. and, and also refine your, your offering, refine your product. Because you're just starting out, you don't know if it's like a, a consistent offering that's going to last forever to build a sustainable business. You know what I'm saying? Um, even in the service business, like, you know, yeah, like, okay, it's like, I feel like the first three or four months, I think the first half of the year is really refining your offering, refining your sales structure and refining mm-hmm. how you're really going to deliver that consistently and then learning mm-hmm. how to scale it. So I think once that's done, I kind of see the second half of, okay, let's actually, we've refined the offering or the product. This is our sales structure. This is how we're going to get to this revenue. And then you just start pushing that. And then along the way, it's like you're tweaking it back and forth. And actually, even after you refine that, I think you still tweak it, constantly tweak it to really uh, make it a consistent place. So when I, now when you people come in, okay, this is how we do things. So now you don't have to educate the next guy who comes in of how do you do sales? How, how do we deliver to customers? How do we yeah. really grow our business what is the manual for our policy on this 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 and that um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just i think one of the things is like we don't really account for is just time and and having the patience um you know like you know with the patience thing has there been a time like where you're doing your business uh, with wit media where you felt like you were not patient and it costed you some way somehow. Oh, definitely, man. Oh man, patience like is looking such a back, issue. like oh, looking man, back, like he's like, man, if I was patient with that and I took my time, this could have like went differently. Oh, most definitely, man. Well, in, in sales, for instance, for a lot of times, you know, um, sometimes you want you're so you become desperate for the clothes sometimes, uh, and it's a lesson that you have to learn. It's like no, the the fast deals this isn't always the best deal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know um and not all money makes sense you know and it's you learn over the process you know or over the time that sometimes uh, just thirsty for the money that you forget like this is gonna yeah, bite me in the end is, you know 
Exactly, exactly. You know, um, there's been times where um, I closed the deal without the contract and then someone sends the contract over after. And that was like a big mistake. And I'll never, mm-hmm. ever do that again. You know, you had to stick that, stick that lesson, you know, mm-hmm. um, and doing your background research on your client. You know, yeah. what do yeah. what other people think of your client? Um, mm-hmm. How are they with paying? You know, what are they books like? You know, I'm not saying go through their clients' books every time, but at least doing a background check on the client, you know, that you're working with, I think is an essential thing. Um, there's so much to, to go into. I could go on for, for that for days, you know. Oh, yeah, bro. Yeah. Like, I think sometimes... How about you? you? For me, oh, hundreds of, like, so much. I think for me, I lack patience in... in and I think you also caught me in uh, whenever we were doing our little mastermind, when I when I told you, I was like, hey, bro, I think you need to make three pieces of content a day, mm-hmm. right? It's, mm-hmm. I always feel like we have to do things super fast because I always have like this thing that we're being left behind. And I always look, I always have like this feeling I'm looking behind me to really see what people, and not look behind me, but for example, like we're in the content business, we're in the media business, and we just spoke about Gary V. And I look at, I used to, I used to watch Gary V from 2012 and, and up, like since grade 11, grade 12, and he was just a nobody. Like he was just putting out content, shoddy camera, him in the mm. park, whatever. And to see where he is now, and I see the caliber of work that he has, and I see like the content pieces he, I'm like, yo, we have to do that. We have to, you know, and he goes back to that whole thing, 100 pieces of content today. And I lose the fact that this is someone who's been in the game for x amount of years he has a team behind him and we're just starting out all we just have to do is take like one step forward and that mentality of being patient and just perfecting my work and then releasing it has made me produce shoddy work sometimes sometimes i feel like i put a piece of something and it's not as the best caliber i could have had it because i just really wanted to maximize on the volume on that part so um patience with even back in school man you remember when i came back in school i I left school earlier on because i really wanted to be an entrepreneur looking back i mean i don't mind the risk but i came back and i finished school i was like man i could have really finished my first runaround and been back and been out of school and i still have a bunch of time left right i was so impatient because i thought oh yeah i gotta be a millionaire by 25. I actually wrote this and 25 came and this um, this pressure I put on myself just because I'm seeing other kids becoming millionaires by a certain age. I was like, yo, okay, fine. I'll do it. I get to 25. I'm like, I'm, I look at my bank account. I'm like, am I, is my net worth a million? No. So it just made me realize you don't really have, it's not a race, right? It's not a race. It's, it's a marathon. And everything happens on its own time. You just have to really do your best at what you do. And, you know, things will happen slowly if you just stick to the process. And that, that's why I embody that process, trust the process and just keep going with it because I really try to do things super fast and spent a lot of money, lost a lot of money. And I think the blessing we both have is after you do those mistakes, you come up with a, with a mature mindset when you look at things. And you realize that, you know what, things have their own time and they're going to emerge when they emerge, but you just got to stick to the process and the grind. 
Yeah, most definitely, man. Most definitely. So, yeah, I think that's kind of like what, that's it to put a bow on the question. You know, it really takes to be an entrepreneur in the service business, at least, to start, you know, and that's yeah, how it yeah. started for me, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, um, who are your favorite podcasters that inspired you to get into podcasting? Man, favorite podcasters. So I think I fell in love with podcasting and the idea of it when I used to listen to The Brilliant Idiots, right? Mm. Uh, Back in 2014 when Charlemagne and Andrew Schultz just released like their episodes. And I just love the way they were just chatting. I look for it every Thursday for the drop. Then Mm. I found out about Tax Stone. I don't know if you're, you know, tax, Love tax, tax, stone. tax, stone, bro. tax season, yeah, ching, ching, ching. yeah. yeah. Um, him. And then, uh, who else did I start listening to? Listen to any, um, combat Jack, combat Jack, man. RP combat Jack, man. Honestly. Yeah. RP combat Jack, man. And then, great, uh, Great, great person, man. Just had like a calmness to him that like it just makes you li- like it just makes you like wow, this is such a vibe. And I used mm-hmm. to listen to a bunch of sports guys, like you know, guys at Raptors Republic. I'm a huge Raptors fan, so mm-hmm. at every single game, uh, you can see that man at the We the North in the background. Yeah, bro, We the North, bro. NBA. I used to have like the paper right there of Kawhi holding the trophy, like We mm-hmm. the Champs, Toronto Star. I have that hung up on my wall. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, it's just like a bunch of the comedy guys and. Sports guys really got me into it, mm-hmm. and that's what happened, bro. That's what that's what got me started. I was like, man, I, I just want to build a platform, and and uh, these are the guys who I who got me to really think about starting something. Then I found yeah. out about Anchor. And I was like, yo, this is super easy. Uh, let's just create something and drop that and try it. Try it out, man. Most definitely. Same here. Like I've been heavily into podcasts lately. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think since we're like building this podcast, that's all over everything. It's like we're students of the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it makes us okay. What are they doing that we can at ours? Like, what's their structure? Like, what is their, how are they marketing it? You know, how they growing mm-hmm. their audience, little things like that. Most definitely. Most definitely. So, um, yeah, for me, the Combat Jack was huge. The, the J. Cole Combat Jack episode was like super huge for me. I'm, I'm a huge J. Cole fan. So yeah, eh? seeing that come together was was great. And then that, like how, I think it was like three hours long, you know, and learned so much. My, oh, this is something like I can see myself doing. You know, having this candid, easygoing conversations. Easygoing, yeah, bro. It makes so much sense. I've always been a fan of like deep interviews, but whether it be like Nardwar or um, Howard Stern, you know, and Charlamagne the God before the brilliant, brilliant idiots the as well. Idiots, yeah. You know, Barbara Walters, 60 Minutes, you know, the actor mm-hmm. studio. Yeah. You know, this has been like, I didn't realize that, that that was my thing for a while. I was always to like, like long form content, you know. So, and, and you're just taking it in and you're just listening and you're, you're going on about your day and you're just hearing mm-hmm. like a conversation going on and you're mm-hmm. just soaking it all in, man. It's, it's super rewarding, man. It, it actually is. Most definitely. I'm a recluse, you know, so I'm, and I'm an only child. So I'm always spend time with myself. Just either working on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're lonely a lot, of, a lot of the time. So it's like double whammy for me. So I'm sorry. Yeah. What kind of podcast I listen to? Like, who can I study? You know, I didn't realize yeah. at first, but I was like really good diving into these, to these uh, journalists, man. Or Larry King as well. Larry mm-hmm. King's a beast. He's you know? an OG, man. He's yeah, been yeah, doing yeah. it for some time, you know? 
most definitely. So on another note though, what business has really inspired you lately? The business. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know, man. It's tough, but there's a few businesses that I really, really like and I, like I really admire. And, um, you know, I'm a huge, I'm actually on their website right now, like no word of a lie. Uh, Tristan Walker's Bevel. Like, oh, yeah, Get Bevel? Okay. Get Bevel, yeah. And the reason like I've been inspired by it, it's just like the authentic, true like the brand of it, it's just like so authentic and genuine and so mm-hmm. true to what it's all about. And their mm-hmm. products are just like, I feel like they they really care about their customers. Like, you know, us two black guys, right? Mm-hmm. When, when is there a time in your life when you like really looked at a product on, let's say GQ, Esquire, uh, all these magazines that like, you know, we always like flip through like growing up one time or another and you'd see like a product like really marketed towards you. Like let's mm. say grooming wise and stuff like, and it's not like a, a generic like black uh, magazine or whatever, like Essence or stuff like that. Um, grooming wise, yeah, probably only bevels. Like grooming wise, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I think grooming wise. Outside of grooming, I would say maybe suit supply where they had like the black model. Um. Yeah, it's about it. There isn't much. There isn't much. I'm trying to think. Yeah, there isn't much, man. Yeah, nah. Not, not a lot, really, eh? Not a lot. Not yeah. a lot at all. It, it, it's just like that That way makes you feel connected to who you are. It's like, okay, this is like a place that's like for me, for me. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And then... Another brand that inspires me, uh, you know, mm. Aim Leon Dwight. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hold on. To get back, it actually came to me. Um, get Fresh Heritage. Not get, yeah, Get Fresh Heritage. Fresh Heritage. That, that Fresh brand. Heritage? By, yeah, by Gamal Connor or Connor. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. brand, you know, when I said, I'm like, oh, okay, he's just trying to go for black people. Um, and it's a, a beard care line. So I'll say that. Um, so those would be the two. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think maybe some hairbrushes like come across. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hairbrushes. Yeah. Classic, classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know Aim Leon Dor though, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, man. But look, oh, let's, let's stay on Bevel. I'll put that in the parking lot. Stay on Bevel. What okay. do you think about the acquisition of Bevel? So this happened in 2018, I 18. believe. Yeah. In December. In, in December. And uh-huh. It was so, announced. It was announced. They got acquired yeah. by Procter & Gamble. They didn't really ex- disclose the amount that they they got purchased for, but from what I heard and from listening to a bunch of the CPG guys I follow on Twitter, mm. they got acquired for about like 40, 35 to 40 million around there. Mm. So I think what happened, um, and maybe you can correct me if you've also read some material, they weren't really making any money right? They're taking a lot of funding and Mm -hmm. the funding that they collected from were from, you know, VCs, uh, athletes, celebrities, such as Nas, uh, Magic Johnson, uh, John Legend, and 
those are the three that I remember who are prominent in investors. And then you had like MBA guys like Andre Gudala, Harrison Barnes, who had invested in it. So pretty much that money that PNG bought the bevel for all went back to the investors, right? And the thing is, is because they didn't really have a, a growth strategy. They needed more money to really grow the business. So the only reason they got acquired is they needed the money to really, and they needed the backing, they needed the infrastructure to really grow. And without that uh, acquisition, they could have, they had to raise more money. And you know, when you raise more money, you know, you get diluted and, and to even what really. You have a guitar? No, bro. I just kind of hit like the the spring of like the boom arm that carries the mic. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So two things that I feel about this acquisition, bro. So when Tristan started Bevel, he came and said this, I really want this to be the Johnson and Johnson for people of color. And that was very inspirational. I was like, man, that's, that's big. And he was there. He's all over TV, a black entrepreneur, you know, in Silicon Valley, like, yo, who is doing this at this scale? So everything he said, up to that acquisition process. When I when the news broke out, I was a little bit sad and I was a little bit disappointed, you know, because right. um, he wanted to be what PNG is and mm-hmm. he kind of got sold to them. And I think in our community, there's like this always, this is always a thing, like even BT gets sold to Comcast, Viacom. right? Viacom. Viacom. Shea, Shea Butter got sold to... Uh, do you know the Shea Butter story? Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember who they got shows, but then they bought it back, I believe. No, you're talking about Shea Moisture. Shea, Shea Moisture, Moisture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, bro, I mean, I was disappointed by Tristan selling, but then after listening to a lot of the interviews he did, I mean, I think he was he had no other option but to do it. And but I'm still happy. Ha- yeah, Unilever. Unilever. They sold to Unilever. Yeah. Yeah. Then he got back like like fifty million, invested it in like Essence magazine and um like fifty black women or something like that. But yeah, let me not fuck that up. Me such a moisture. Oh, yeah. right, yeah, keep, keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, so you're saying Yeah. That, yeah, man. I was I mean I was talking to um my friend Christelle and she was like saying like yeah, she was a little bit upset because we kind of saw him as our as our as our guy. Like, this is our guy. Like, this is, like, the guy in Silicon Valley. He's doing it, and he's doing it big. And he had an awesome start. And he just he had, like, a six-year run, and then he got acquired. So mm-hmm. from what he's saying, it's things are still going to be the same. Things are still going to be bevel. It's still operating as its own entity. They just have a partner who is, you know, backing their R&D and can help them get distribution faster and make – their brands evolve faster. So, I mean, you can't blame him, but I think if there was any other person, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But since it's Tristan with kind of like how he came out with it and said that this is what I want to be. And then being swallowed by that person who you want to be, it's kind of deflating. I'm not going to lie, but I still support them. I still support Bevel every single day. So, I think one thing I admire about them is just the authenticity and uh, how just how great the brand feels. Yeah. So he still he still he still owns it. Uh, I mean, 
well, I'm not sure about owning, but um, you still CEO of the company, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, I guess is like managing director type of. He's the first you know. black Procter and Gamble CEO ever. And it's like a hundred year existence, man. How insane is that? Interesting. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, he also is on the board of directors for Foot Locker. Yeah, he just got on there like this year, I think. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, like uh, two months ago, February. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Yo, take it in. Actually, before I got let go of Vision Critical, yeah. uh, I was actually going after them. I was actually talking to one of their employees to get a meeting with like Tristan or something to really showcase our software solution to them. How was it going? At what st- stage do you leave off? So pretty much, okay, you know... talking about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with COVID, like, of course, things kind of took a halt. So I asked one of the guys, Randy, who works... I think he's in marketing. And he's just like, mm-hmm. man, this sounds great. And we'd been following each other on social. So it's like really easy connect. But things are like... Of course, every business right now is scrambling to really get things out. But he was just kind of saying how... Uh, having access to anybody to really listen to an outside business to pitch them something is tough right now because employees are being, even employees are being let go, but like there's a lot of shuffling going around. There's this going around. It's just not the right time. Right. So yeah, it would have been crazy if I got bevel on, on vision critical. That would have been insane. Yeah, that would have been great, man. It's just too bad. You know, uh, yo, how do you think, okay, let's, let's, let's get into it. Um, and it, we're going to be putting this on YouTube, so I don't know if you can say uh, the word anymore, but um, let's That's call what, it... What word? COVID, COVID-19. You can't say COVID-19? You know, on YouTube, no, you can't. Why? Because so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they block it out. Google's algorithm blocks it out right now, and like, they'll take off the video. You know Immediately. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. Or de- demonetize it. But not monetized right now. So, um, but yeah. Um, how do you think? Where do you see COVID affecting the economy right now? Where do I see COVID affecting the economy? Yeah, the hardest. Uh, of course, businesses, small businesses, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and by small businesses, I mean businesses with two to 20 employees who depend on foot traffic to really evolve, to make their business flourish. So these are like the stores you see on the streets. These are the mom and pop shops that that need foot traffic to survive. Um, yeah, I mean, to my knowledge, that's all I know right now to, so to give you like the answer, like of what I feel like is impacted the most because Without those small businesses, like the economy crashes, there's a lot of people with no jobs. Uh, people go out of business. And when we come back out of this recession, to get people back up and running again, it's going to take another year to really get back to where they were. Because this is going to take at least six months out of their business. So they have no revenue. They have all this rent. They don't own the land, which is like another big thing. Mm-hmm. So they have no money coming in. And then to get things back up and running again, it's just going to be another uh, pain in the ass. So that's kind of where I see right now. 
the biggest hitch the economy is going to be at is just the small businesses that, re- that need the foot traffic to really uh, sustain themselves. Yeah, man, it's, it's uh, the foot traffic right now is is minimal, you know, and they all of them can't operate, operate their e-commerce stores either because they're not recognized as essential business, right? So what a lot of them are doing right now is trying to sell masks as a guise to be recognized as an essential business. Have you heard about this? It's funny you mentioned that because I saw a thing on Twitter how brands yeah. are utilizing masks to really sell their uh, – I don't know what they're saying, but I saw, like, a lot of – the reason why a lot of brands are making masks, and mm. I didn't click on it yet, but do you, like, tell me, like, what is it? Like, why, why are they doing this? I, from what it sounds like is that um, they want to become essential services mm-hmm. or at least they want the brand association of – um, I'm wearing an off-white mask or I'm wearing a Nike mask, you know? So it's like a double whammy. And also there's tax exemptions that comes from it and contracts that can come from the government, you know? Um, like GM right now just got like a warfare um, contract with the government um, for like uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Let me mm-hmm. pull this up for you, GM contract. But like the thing is, it's like if they can't do production for example, these companies who rely on international production, if everything's on lockdown, I mean, how are you producing these these masks at a profit, right? So let's say like you, if, if you're a brand, yeah, exactly, right? So China's on lockdown, like Wuhan is coming back up, but every mm-hmm. other, all other factories are most definitely locked down or even if they're not locked down, they're not operating at maximum efficiency. So if you're a local company in Canada or the States and you're used to having international production, how you really produ- operate? Huh? So, so yeah, how, how are they supposed to operate? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. So um, the government just gave um, GM a, the, under the defense production act, um, uh, $489.4 million dollar, uh, contract to make 30,000 ventilators to be delivered. So, so is this, is this, is this America China. or Canada? This is America. This is America. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Um, this is on driving.ca. Um, also this is on click on Detroit as well. Um, but this is happening. This is about to happen in Canada as well. It's, it's not a, it's not a, far thing because the GM factories in Canada so yeah but like man, what it's... about what about these other brands that like you know the Nike brands or uh, these fashion brands how are they going to produce a lot of masks to really you know so some of them have factories in, in, in America like New Balance is a factory in America mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if Nike does but um, there's a whole, America has factories America has as factory still, it's just more expensive. You know, they usually use it for more premium products. You know, yeah. So now they just gotta use it. And thing is, I think Wuhan's back, um, back up and running. Not like completely, but like they're starting to um reacclimatize the uh, society. So there's still mm-hmm. things becoming to get open again. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of like what do you think is a business that let's say if you are a, a like you're just a young guy or a girl. And you really mm-hmm. want to start a business in this climate. So you're going to be in quarantine for six to, let's say six months. Uh, let's mm-hmm. give it to like six, seven months till the end of the year. 
Oof. What are some ideas that like, you know, people can cook up to have like a side hustle to really pass time uh, mm-hmm. in this t- uh, during this period? And I've been Cooking thinking about up. some ideas, eh? All right, so I bet. Uh, all right, let's see who gets better idea. So, um, actually, let's let the audience decide. Let's do this. So, um, comment or DM us on Instagram and, and let us know what your favorite uh, idea is to make money during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, hustle. Sorry, twenty four seven hustler on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Um, all right. So, for me, I'd say you can leverage tax you know right now is the best time to jump into the tax business you know everyone has nothing but time mm-hmm. and they, everyone starts to file their taxes it's a boring but it's like the be- easiest way to make money still because everyone needs to get their taxes done yeah, so yeah, yeah. um if you know how to get tax to do someone's taxes you can make a, a, a easy a clean money right now this is just by um being able to market yourself on social media and linkedin with the algorithm being open more open there mm-hmm. i think that's probably like the easiest way to make money secondary i would say staying with essentials um everyone still has to buy essentials from somebody so um what do you define as essentials food and um like things that you need every day so uh yeah, like food, food and water and shelter, you know. So I think you can make a lot of money. Um, so like, get, are we are we are we dropping are we drop shipping these items? Because if we're let's say we're in our bedrooms right now and we really want to start a business, uh, we can't go outside, so we're left with our computer. Do mm-hmm. you think they should, you know, get into like an e-commerce play, or how do you see them? I would say as an affiliate play, actually. Affiliate. Yeah, I'd say them like having brand sponsorships and affiliates with people who are cooking and who are trying to get people to uh, buy specific product like mm-hmm. in there. The only thing people are leaving the house to do right now is buy groceries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So groceries right now is like probably the, the easiest way to make money. Uh, how would they make money? Uh, so like, are they selling it online? Do you see them selling it online or... I think it'll probably be information online. So mm-hmm. whether it be a YouTube channel teaching people how to cook mm-hmm. or um, like kind of like what we did with Eden, you know? Um, yeah, giving, yeah, we um, dropped oh, a yeah, lot that, of... That, that, that episode's, episode's going to be fire. Be <laughs> yes, I can't wait for that episode. That Eden episode's going to be great. That was, like, that was um, like, I would even call that a podcast, man. That was like a consultation call. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was a mix of both. Yeah, it was like an interview meets consultation call meets like um, a catch-up on life. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was everything. It's like a yeah. hodgepodge of everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a great gumbo. Yeah. So, um, hmm. I think that would probably be it. Um, from someone that's in the crib trying to, or oh, the stock market as well, if I have extra money, like, what's my money like? I'm, th- I'm thinking, like, if you have absolutely no money and you're trying to, like, figure it out from ground zero, you know, that's probably the best thing to easily make deals. Actually, I actually had a conversation with one of my friends, um, mm-hmm. my friend Martin and Rodney. So we had a, a, just a call the other day. And, you know, for the longest time, we've wanted to start something together. So they're part mm-hmm. of an investment group that they each contribute monthly towards a stock. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we were talking about is 
you know, investing in stocks. And what, what people try and do is they invest in stocks that they feel are undervalued, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things is us as regular investors or people who don't are not hedge fund managers or who don't like really look at or day traders, it's really hard to find like a stock to beat in the market that, that's very undervalued. And one of the things is that um, with stocks, whatever price you see right then and there, it generally and usually always reflects the price of what the true stock is, right? And one of the things we were talking about is if you really want to get into passive investing, there's something called um, target day funds, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how they work is, let's say you and I were to get a, set up a fund together and we say, okay, in five years, we really want this fund to help us buy a property somewhere, Uh Perhaps it's a commercial property or it's like a duplex, whatever you want to do with it. And we make a monthly contribution every single year, uh, every single month. What the fund does is it's it's it, it's a mutual fund, which in, it invests in general, like index funds in general, right? So it's a bunch of index funds. And what it does, it invests in many different funds. And over time, as we're getting closer to the date of when the fund is supposed to close and where we're supposed to take the money out it gets more cons- it gets more conservative right before it's like okay let's invest in this let's invest in that let's invest in whatever it wants to invest in but over time it, it really starts investing in stuff that's like more and more uh less uh risky and more conservative so early on as you're growing it you're doing you're doing it and as it reaches in there it's more conservative yeah. so gotcha. It allows you to make more passive investment. It allows you to accumulate passive investment. It's very, uh, it beats the general market of just like investing in random equity stocks. And you actually make a lot more money by doing that than trying to find like a stock, which is, oh yeah, man, this is the right stock. Because a lot of people, when they invest in stocks, they just look at, okay, what is the dividend yield on this stock? Uh, How much can I get it for? Okay, this stock is like $2 or this ETF is $2 a share and the yield is like 8%, mm-hmm. you know, but you got to look at everything else that's involved in that, with that stock, even REIT stocks. Right. Um, and this is one thing that I learned from my friends is that, and I knew as well, I think a lot of people have a mindset of investing in cool looking stocks, but they don't invest in the business. Right. So if you flip mm-hmm. your mentality from, Hey, let me just try to beat the market. Let me try and invest ten dollars and make like eight, like eight dollars uh, extra profit by two weeks. You're gonna get yourself burnt all the time. But if you take, let's say, if you have a, a cool five hundred dollars, you invest in a great stock uh, that has a solid dividend, uh, has no debt, has great management. You believe in the business. You know how they make money. And you believe this business is going to exist 20, 30, 40 years from now, then that's mm-hmm. a place where you should invest your money. Um, and instead of just investing, oh, yeah, let's look at the best stock, which has a highest yield. Um, but you don't even look at, you don't even do your fundamental analysis where you're looking at your PE ratios, your debt ratios, uh, your income statements, and all these different things. Um, you know, how they're managing their business and what products are coming out. If you don't do that due diligence, then you shouldn't.